Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11, says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Ah. Three things I want to share with you quickly uh, this morning. And here's the first. It's really important. We just sang about it. Guys, God cares about you and your situation. Okay? I need you to hear that. This is important. God cares about you and he cares about your situation. So Jesus uh, and his disciples and a large crowd, it says, are entering a town called Nain. Okay? Now, we've just left. Jesus has healed the, the centurion's servant. Remember, that was dying and he healed him from a distance, which is pretty cool. He just kind of spoke a word. Talked about that centurion's great faith. And, and so now uh, he and, and his disciples and a crowd are following. And he enters a town called Nain. Now that, that town name, Nain, it means a pleasant village. And, and so there, uh, on his way into a pleasant village, Jesus and his disciples encounter a very unpleasant situation. They walk into a funeral procession. You can imagine the joy and, 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 and the spirit of which they're traveling along the road. They've, they've just seen some really cool things. Some great things have just happened. And, and so here's Jesus. And now coming out of the pleasant village, some unpleasantries. Death. A procession of death. Right? It, it says that, that, that a mother has just lost a child. It's a terrible situation situation that should never have to happen. And that's, and that's what's going on. But more than that, it says that this lady is a widow. Now, now, to understand the depths of what's going on here, because there's a great crowd of people, there's a great group of people that are they're here, they're mourning with her. To understand what's going on, we need to know a little bit about Jewish culture. And so here's the thing you need to know. In Jewish culture, women couldn't make it on their own. I'm not, like, this isn't an anti-feminism kind of comment. This is just culturally speaking. It was almost impossible for a widow to make it on their own in Jewish culture. It was just so difficult. And so, so this woman, her, her primary provider and protector has died. Her husband, her husband, her primary protector and provider has died. But, but at least she has a son, Right? Because in Jewish culture, that's what would happen. The son would then step up and, and then would take over the father's responsibilities as far as caring for and taking care of his mom. That's what would happen. But now I want you to see this. He's gone too. So, so not only is she mourning the loss of, of a son, but she is staring down um, a sure financial difficulty. Life has just gotten very hard for her. She, she's lost her son She's, she's encountering all of that, but on top of that, no doubt, she's looking down a road that looks pretty bleak for her. And Jesus walks into this, 
She's surrounded by this group of people, by the way, that, that seem to understand the depths of the situation. Basically, the whole town is out grieving and mourning with her. They feel bad for her. And it says that Jesus walks into this and he immediately is affected. Do you hear me? God walks into this situation and he is immediately affected. It says his heart went out to her. Now in Greek, it says that he was moved to, to the depth of his being. To the depth of his being, God is moved with compassion for this woman and, and what she's going through. The depths of who he is, he's moved by her circumstances, by her situation, by her laws. And so it says he walks up to her and says, woman, don't cry. And he walks over to the coffin, to the procession, which wasn't really a coffin as we think of a coffin, but it's a dead body. Headed to the cemetery, he places his hand there, and he says, get up. Son, get up. And he does. It's a pretty amazing story. It's a pretty amazing story. You say, Pastor, that, that is. It's a really cute story. That's awesome. But what on earth does that have to do with me? Because, hey, let's face it. You're here at church, and you're wanting something for you. So let me tell you what it has to do with you. Ready? This story is proof that God cares about you. That's what it has to do with you. This story is proof that God cares about you. This story is proof that God is compassionate. Jesus is, is God in the flesh, and God is here, and he's on the scene, and he cares. Jesus is proof that God is compassionate and tender and cares about us. That's who Jesus is. In fact, the prophet Isaiah wrote about Jesus long before Jesus ever came. And this is, these are some of the words that he wrote. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, 3, he says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. It mean, means that Jesus is going to sympathize with those that are hurting. That Jesus will not come and trample on those that are down. That he won't come and kick them to the curb so he can start over with somebody better. That he won't come and just extinguish all their little pity flames. That's not who Jesus is. But Jesus is going to come to every bruised reed. And he's going to humble himself. He's going to step down. He's going to stoop down. That's Philippians 2, by the way. And Jesus has come to stoop down and to mend, not to do away with the broken reeds, but to stoop down and to mend and to strengthen the bruised reeds. He's come to stoop down. God Himself, mind you. Think about this. The smoldering, the, the smoldering wick. I mean, barely even, we don't even call it a flame. And what has God Himself come to do? He's come to Come to breathe life, to fan our faith into a flame again. This is who Jesus is. This is proof. Friends, this story is a great reminder that God compares, God cares about you. He cares about, He's compassionate towards you. He cares about you. He cares about what you're going through. He cares about your situation. He cares about your heartache. He hasn't forgotten you. He's not too busy for you. He knows your struggle and he cares, okay? It's the first thing I want you to see. And we'll talk about that more when we get to the application, what that means for us. Number two, I want you to see this morning that Jesus' healing is not dependent on our faith, but upon his power. 
Jesus' healing is not dependent on our faith, but upon his power. I believe that Luke places this story here on purpose, right? Every author of a gospel writes it and he puts it in order according to to what's suiting the purpose for which he's writing, okay? And so Luke has a purpose so that you might know he's writing to Theophilus, so that you might know the certainty, that you might know the truth of who Jesus is. This is the purpose. Back in Luke 1 we read, this is why he's written the book. And so Luke has assembled these stories on purpose in the way that they're written. And, and so let's face it, what has just happened, right? A great faith healing has happened, hasn't it? I mean, the centurion's servant was dying. And so the centurion comes to Jesus with a dying servant, and he stops him at a distance and says, no, 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 don't come to me, just say the word. Just say, and Jesus, it says in the scripture, Jesus, God himself, is amazed at this man's faith. He's amazed. This guy has amazing faith, Jesus says. And, and so he says, I haven't found faith like this in all of Israel yet. And, and, and so like, he heals the guy. He says a word. Now, it never records the word he said, but evidently he said some kind of word. And the man's healed. And, and, and friends, hear me. It would be so easy, based off of such a great text as that, such a great faith healing, to build an entire theology about faith healing, wouldn't it? I mean, it'd be really easy. Great faith leads to great results. You can almost hear it now. I mean, I mean something like, if you believe, you will receive. If you sow a little, God will bring you a harvest of a bunch, right? I mean, there's all kinds. And, and here's the deal. And the problem with that is we wouldn't even be proof texting to do that. Proof textings mean we, we turn to one verse and build a whole theology. But it wouldn't be proof testing because let's be honest. Jesus even says at one point to, to several people throughout the Bible, he says, go, your faith has healed you. So it wouldn't be proof texting because sometimes evidently faith is a part of our healing process. So why does Luke put this story here? See, Luke tells this great story about a faith-based healing, and he follows it up with this story about a healing where there is no faith involved, and there's no request for intercession at all. It's not in the text. Go back and reread the text. Not once does this woman who is mourning see Jesus coming. Not once. Not once does this woman who is mourning cry out, Jesus, save me, or Jesus, heal my son. There is no request for intercession in the text. It's not there, and yet God intercedes anyway. God intercedes anyway. So I want to speak some truth this morning, and I pray that you'll listen. Okay, please hear this. This is important. There is a faith movement today in in several churches and, and in that faith movement, there's a group of people um, that teach and they preach uh, that faith is always a condition for healing. I'm to say that again. It, it, within the faith movement, they teach that faith is always, like, always, this is what they teach, faith is always a condition for healing. Therefore, ba- based on their teaching, if you're not healed, if somebody that you love doesn't get the healing, it is because of a lack of faith on your part. Not because God said no. Not because God ever says no. Because evidently, according to them, if you have enough faith, you can force God to do something. That's the theology if you follow it to the end game. Evidently, you didn't have enough faith to force the God of the universe to force his hand. Pour on you. Boy, that makes you feel great, doesn't it? Like I didn't already feel like a loser. 
for all, all my moral failure that I'm aware of. Now I don't even have faith. But friends, here's what the totality of Scripture teaches. This is why you study the whole Bible, by the way. Like, like when something comes up like this and you read of a, a great faith healing, you have to go, I, I wonder, I, I, what about the rest of the people that are healed in Scripture? Is faith always necessary? And you start reading the Bible and Luke's like, no, just read the next chapter. Just read the little next section. Read my next sentence. No. <laughs> Healing's not always based on your faith. Even when your faith is involved, it's actually Christ's power that does the healing. So here's what scripture would teach us if we take it in its totality. It teaches us these things. Healings happen in a number of ways. Uh, First, sometimes healings do happen because of a person's faith. They do. Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. Like that's Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth. Like he said that. You pretty much got to take that at face value. Don't try to explain it away. Don't go, well, that was a certain phase of the New Testament and that stuff doesn't happen anymore. Like Jesus, same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Just saying, that's in the Bible. So, so I, I think it's pretty important that you say, yeah, you know, faith sometimes plays a role in our healing. We don't know what, we don't know how it works, but Jesus said so, so I believe him because he, like, you know, he made me. Okay, second time, place, there's healing. Sometimes there's healings in the Bible because of intercessory prayer. That's not prayer on behalf of the sick, but that's prayer on behalf of people that love the sick. Somebody's sick, somebody's injured, and friends intercede. And either they carry them to Jesus or they, they lift them up in prayer or if somebody is, is, is healed because of somebody else's prayer. And that happens, it's in the Bible, it's biblical. But friends, throughout the Bible on several occasions, there are people that are healed just because God is God. Because God is good. Because God heals people that don't even know he's healing them. He heals people that don't even know that they're sick. He heals people that don't even know that the cancer has started. And sometimes God just chooses to intercede. Ever had a close call on the highway? You ever stop and think, wow, God interceded for me because my car was headed head on for another. If he would have hit my car 12 inches in another direction, I'd be a goner. God has interceded for us at many times when we didn't even ask him to. It's the totality of, of Scripture. What that means is that there are times that God requires faith for a miracle. But as Jerry Bridges says, it's pretty smart dude. God will not be held hostage by our lack of faith. Your lack of faith is not going to hold back God's hand in a matter that he wants to act. It's just not. Okay? So you need to understand that. I pray that brings you some relief. And we're going to talk about what that means for our personal prayer life again here in just a, a couple of minutes. Just know Jesus' healing is not dependent on our faith, but upon his power. Number three. When dead men walk, <clears throat> they can't help but talk. When dead men walk, they can't help but talk. Look at uh, verse 14 and, and then 15. Jesus in verse 14 says, young man, I say to you, get up. Which is pretty interesting because he's talking, you know, to a coffin. He says, so, okay. And so, so Jesus says to the young man, get up. And, and verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. I wouldn't see his immediate response. The guy is dead and he wakes up. I bet he didn't shut up for days, Right? I mean, the first thing he does, this dead guy is now brought back to life, and he immediately, boy, does he have a story to tell. 
And so he just begins to, to speak, and Luke doesn't tell us what he says, but, but we, we do kind of find this to be a bit of a pattern in the New Testament. See, there's another story that you'll read this week in your Bible reading in John chapter 11 about another guy that's dead that starts walking. And evidently he starts talking too. So turn with me to John chapter 11. Let's read about Lazarus together this morning. John chapter 11, uh, I'm going to start in verse 38. John chapter 11, starting verse 38, says, Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and the cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So here we have another dead man walking. Jesus is doing some pretty cool stuff. But that's not the end of the story of Lazarus. You've got to turn to John chapter 12 to get the rest of the story. So John chapter 12 and and verse 9. I'm just going to read 9 and 10. It's just a page over in my Bible. It says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Many Jews coming to Jesus because of Lazarus. They plotted to kill him too. Evidently, Lazarus had a story to tell. Evidently, Lazarus had a story to tell. And people were listening. So many people that the Jews decided they were going to have to kill him too. You remember a few weeks ago, we said that our words reveal more about us than we think. It said, from the overflow of our heart, our mouth speak. That our hearts reveal what we truly treasure. Do you know what dead men treasure when they're brought back to life? You know what dead men, men that were dead, that, that are brought back to life. Do you know what they treasure? They treasure the one that brought them back to life. That's what they treasure. <laughs> they, they, they then, from that day on, treasure every other day as a gift from God. Like, there is not a single day that goes by that they don't realize what has happened. Not a single day. For dead men that are brought back to life treasure the one that had the authority to conquer death in them. That's what they treasure. They, they treasure it more than anything else. Even more than life itself. That's what they talk about. They, they can't help it, Right? I was, I was dead, and now I'm alive and kicking. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, and now I'm, that's the story of the Bible over and over and over. When dead men walk, they can't help but talk. And so, so again, we're going to talk about this uh, in a second. So, so how do we apply these things in our lives? I want to spend a little bit of time with you um, covering this before we, we get out. First, I want to start here, and I want to challenge you uh, not to listen to the lies. Right? Don't listen to the lies. That's the first point of application. What are you talking about? Well, well uh, talking about the fact that we have a very real enemy called the devil. 
and he hates you, and he's a liar, and he's a thief. And, 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 and one of his primary lies, uh, by the way, the, the devil wants to isolate you, okay? He wants to isolate you from God. He wants to isolate you from fellow believers. The devil wants to isolate you. This is how he, he conquers us, okay? This is how, how he, he begins to destroy us, to begin to sow seeds of doubt. So the devil wants to isolate us from God, wants to isolate us from others. And so, so how does he do that? Well, one of his greatest lies is, is this. Nobody cares. God doesn't care. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't care about you. God's, God's too busy for, for you, right? This is one of his greatest lies. God, God doesn't care about you. Nobody understands what you're going through. God's too busy for that. And again, then that breaks down to the human level that, that, that nobody else could understand what you're going through. Nobody's going to care about your situation. And so we, we withdraw from Christian community. We, we withdraw from anybody because nobody knows what's going on. And friends, I, I, I love you, but I hate to say that that's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie from the enemy. You know what? God does care. Jesus is proof. God does know because Jesus is proof. Like, there's nothing that you can go through in life that God himself in Jesus Christ has not gone through. Nothing, right? And, and so he does know. He does understand. And he does care. And Jesus is proof that he stooped down from heaven, from glory. He has stooped down to mend every bruised reed and to take every, every single wick that's just barely aflame. And to fan it into flame. This is God's love for us, right? So, so listen to me, okay? Hear me. Some of you are going through stuff, and, and you know what I'm talking about right now because you know isolation. Maybe it's depression. Maybe there's some spiritual struggle. Maybe there's some sin in your life. I'm going to tell you, maybe there's an addiction. And in all those areas, the, the same attack is true. God, uh, God wants you in community, he wants you with, with, with other iron to sharpen iron. He wants you to come share your heart. And the enemy is going to tell you this lie. Nobody cares about you. They don't care about what you're going through. They don't want to know all your junk. Right? How many people have ever felt that way? I can't, I can't tell anybody what's going on in my life. Nobody wants all that. No, nobody wants. Listen, friends, I love you. We all got dirty laundry in our home. Every single one of us. And, and dude, I'm telling you, we did 52 billion loads of laundry in my house this weekend. Right? And you will still find underwear somewhere. Hopefully not on anybody's head. Right? But it's going to be in my house. Like some, we all have dirty laundry. We, we all have those moments where somebody comes over and we shut every door in the house and pray that the kitchen is clean. Right? Like, like, like somebody knocks on the door and we look at the kids. Go clean the bathroom right now. I told you a million times not to pee with a seat down. If you have boys, you know my pain. Anytime somebody comes over, we're like, hey, guys. And we're trying to tell the kids, like, with eyes, go clean the bathroom. Listen, friends, this is life. And this is what I'm just going to say to you. Don't buy into those lies anymore. Don't don't buy into those lies. That liar that will tell you nobody understands. Nobody cares. Because then that lie grows into a bigger lie. It sounds something like, not only does nobody care, But you know what? They'd be better off without me. No, friend, that's a lie. That is a lie from the devil himself. God cares about you. God cares about your hurt. 
He cares about your struggle. He cares about your pain. And he cares about the situation you're in right now. And some of you are in the ditch, man. You're in the ditch of life and it is tough and it is hard. And you feel like nobody understands me. Yes, they do. I love, Joan, I love the way you think. You just, you say things sometimes that just like astound me. And I quoted you in the first service and I totally misquoted you. But it was like two and a half years ago, probably three years ago, Jonah was around, I was during homeschool co-op kind of stuff. And, and you made a comment about, you know, that whole statement, there's only, you're one in a million. You remember this? You're one in a million. And he actually did the math based on how many billion people are on the face of the planet. And if you're one in a million, there's like 150 people that are just like you or something like that, right? I mean, it was some huge number. So if you're, hey, you're one in a million, there's 150 people just like you out there. Like, that's not much of a compliment, right? And, and you can take it that way. But here's, the way, here's what I want you to understand. All that means, there, there are people in this world that, well, they're not exactly you. They really do know what you're dealing with. And that's why God calls us to church, calls us to be a family, calls us into Christian community to live together. Because people understand what depression is. And people know what it is to walk through loss and grief and suffering. People know what it is to have a marriage that's struggling or a kid that is rebelling. Like, we know what that is. We understand that. Okay, God understands that. So we start there. One, just don't, don't buy into the lies. Okay, number two. Number two. Uh, swing away. And I love this and you may not understand it, but but you will in a second. So swing away. Uh, I, I just warn you in advance, I'm going to give you a sports analogy. If you're not into sports analogies, you need to find somebody after service that understands sports, and they will explain it to you thoroughly. Okay, so, uh, so we're talking about prayer here, and our story is proof, right? Our story is proof that healing does not always require faith. That's what our story is. Healing doesn't always require faith, all right? It's not always, so, so if a healing doesn't happen, our story is proof that that's not necessarily because you didn't have enough faith. Okay, having said that, the totality of Scripture does teach that sometimes some healings are dependent evidently upon our faith and the power of God. But, but, but sometimes faith is important, right? Whether that's our faith or, or you know, for ourselves or, or, or praying for somebody else. And, and so you say, well, pastor, that's confusing to me. What do, you, what do you mean? Sometimes that faith is important and sometimes it doesn't matter if I have faith or not, God's just going to do it. And I say, yeah, exactly. That's pretty much it. Well, I I need that to be simpler. I can't make it any simpler. Like sometimes faith is one of the requirements and sometimes it's not. But here's the deal. We don't know when uh, and what circumstance that is. We we do know God answers prayer with with yes, later, or no. That's it. Three answers. Either he's going to say yes, he's going to say later, not right now, or or no. But I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you my grace. It's, It's far better than what you're asking for. Okay. So, so, these, these way, so, so what do we do? So here's the analogy, okay? This is kind of, when it comes to healing, here's the analogy, ready? Uh, World Series Game 7. Baseball fans, any baseball fans? Come on. Anybody, like, clueless as to baseball? You have no idea that there was a sport with a, with a stick and a ball. Okay, it's called baseball. Playing on diamond, okay? Uh, it, you, may, you may play out in, in, in left field. Uh, okay, so anyway, it's fine. So, so baseball, uh, it's... World Series, that's the championship of baseball, again, for those of you that don't understand. Game seven, okay, uh, it, it, it is literally uh, bottom of the ninth, that's the last inning, okay. It, it is, you're the last guy out, okay, and it, there's already two outs, and you're the last guy up, and, and, it, and it's a full count. That's three balls and two strikes, okay. That means next strike, it is over, you're going home, you lose. 
Now, now in that situation, game seven of the World Series, and you're the last guy at the plate, you're going to face the best closer the other team has, and he's going to throw his best pitch, which is a 99-mile-an-hour fastball. That's what he gets paid for. By the way, he doesn't have great control. He may plunk you in the head, right? But that's what he gets. He throws the heat. That's what he does. And, and here's the deal. In the game, you have, you have one of two options uh, as this last pitch is coming across the plate. Either you can rest with your bat on your shoulder and do nothing, or you can take a swing at it. You can take a swing at it. This is what I was talking about with my friend this week. He's like, this is the best analogy. When, when we pray, we're taking a swing at it. We, we pray, we're going to take a swing. We say, listen, God, I, I'm praying for healing. I don't know if, if this healing, this circumstance, I don't know if it's your will. I don't know if it's your way. I don't know if this is something that has to do with my faith or this is something you're going to do on your own. I don't know because I'm not God. And, and, and you say I can't fully understand you. I do know this. I know that you care about me. I know that you love me. I know that you care about the things that I care about. So God, if I go down, if this thing doesn't happen, by golly, I'm not walking back to the dug out with the bat on my shoulder saying I didn't take a swing I'm going to take a swing at it regardless that's what prayer is prayer is staring down the enemy's best pitch and not leaving the bat on your shoulder choosing to take a swing and and if it doesn't happen then glory to God but if it does glory to God but take a swing friends swing away I'd encourage you I challenge you I challenge you, swing away. Okay, lastly, uh, leave you with this. As we wrap up, I want to challenge you to remember where you were headed. Just remember where you were headed. This young man is dead, right? I want you to just think through this with me. This isn't a little freaky, right? So, uh, <laughs> Jesus is going to say, uh, so I say to you, son, get up. Right? Jesus is going to say, get up. And where's this guy at when he gets up? When he wakes up, where is he? He's in a coffin on the way to the cemetery. That's where he wakes up. Like, you don't forget that. You don't ever shake that. Like, that's never something that you just put behind you. Oh, you remember that time I woke up and I was in the coffin? Like, that's not a... You remember every day. I think from now on, every time you open your eyes, you think back to when you open your eyes in a coffin. From now on, that sticks with me for the rest of my life. I promise you, this man never forgot that he was dead and on the way to the cemetery. Not one day in his life did he forget it. And so he got up, and this is his story for the rest of his life. I was dead, and now I'm alive. Like, like I, I was done. I, they, they hit Guys, they had already plowed the ground, man. They had dug the grave. They're, he's on the way to put him down, to cover him up with the dirt. And he wakes up, and he immediately starts talking. He never forgot it. He never forgot where he was headed. I love you. That's, that's how I say things, like right before Jesus drops the hammer on us all. Love you. So why have we forgotten where we were headed? Why aren't we still talking about it? Why aren't we every moment, every day, 
thinking back on the fact that we were dead and we were dying and we were headed for, for hell, the Bible says. I mean, that's, we were headed for eternal separation from God. We were headed to the ultimate death, the death of death. That's where we were headed. And along the way somewhere, if you're a Christian, Jesus walked up to that funeral procession and he placed his hand upon the coffin and he said, get up, son. Get up, daughter. Let's go. Let's go. That's our story, and we've never been the same. So why aren't we talking? Why aren't we sharing? Why, how can we be quiet of that? It just doesn't make sense. So I would challenge you, you've got to think back. You've got to make yourself think back to that moment when he said to you, hey, son, get up. Follow me. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Let's escape death together. Let's really live, you and me. Let's do it. What do you say? You want to really live? Come and follow me. (laughs) No more addictions. Nope. You come and follow me. You You don't forget these things. And you can't stop talking about these things. So I challenge you, remember where you were headed. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. God, you're way too good. Way better than we deserve. God, just move in our midst, move in our lives. Help us remember who we are and who we are in you, Lord. It's in your name I pray these things. Amen. Um.